Blog Talk Radio. Welcome you all here for another prime time show of the Frontier Beyond Fear. And in just a moment, I am going to bring our guest on the line. I see that he is out there. And I just want to give um, Jason Gregory an introduction. Um, Jason is the author of the new book, The Science and Practice of Humility, The Path to Ultimate Freedom. And Jason is really quite the expansive, um, heart-based thinker. And I'm not even sure I want to use the term thinker. He is a spiritual philosopher. And he is a scholar, so I guess very much a thinker based in the heart. He is a writer. He is a teacher. He is going to explore for us tonight some teachings from both Eastern and Western philosophy, and really help us to reflect upon these things in a new way and perhaps in ways we've never heard before. He has studied ancient civilizations. Um, He has traveled extensively, and his website is jasongregory.org. And um, without further delay, I'm going to bring Jason onto the line. Welcome. Take a second to connect. There you are. Yes, nice to have you back on the show. We had a brief um time together a few nights ago where um I'm just so happy to be um, bringing you in via Skype from from a foreign, from well, not not a. I don't want to say a foreign land. There is no foreign in this world, but in from far away, and yet very close. So welcome, Jason. Oh, it's great to be on, Susan. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, I am very honored to have you here. Now, I realize as I enter into this program that terminology is meaningful here because you know space only allows me so much when i'm defining a title for the show and yet you really spend some time exploring this concept of the science 
of humility and then, of course, flowing into the practice. So I thought perhaps tonight that's a good place to begin to explore what this means to have a science of humility. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, Because of my work, and I, I mainly focused on studying a lot of the sages, especially of ancient times and also some of the 20th century, is you find that there is sort of a, an attitude that all that every sage has, which is a sense of humility, and it's a it's a sincere humility and, and and almost a prolonged humility. You know, most of us experience humility some in particular parts of our day, but not not at a prolonged state. So I often I was curious about this and um, obviously explored it for many years. And my belief is that there is a science of humility, but it only comes forth through the enlightened mind. So someone who is yeah. someone who can see you, you could probably say the impartial perspective of life. So see the that there is no right and wrong in life. There there is a is what it, there is in all life. So you know this also comes back to also Eastern thinking too, because in the East a lot of people think um, round. So think in uh, circles, you could say. So non-linear, and in the West we think in a linear way. So. You know, this is why when you're in, say, India or China, if you understand the language, if you speak, say, Chinese or Sanskrit, the the language is almost backwards to what English is. So there's a very round roundabout, indirect way to get to things. So, you know, this also it it comes through uh, the way that humility is expressed through a sage as well, because they don't see things as absolute. They see things as um, change. They see everything as change. So there's no sort of yeah. definite, no definite description of reality, you know. Now, I know that um, for many of us who have come from traditions that very strictly define duality, and, you know, I, I, I came from, from that background, from a very conservative background in the United States, and I think that that's something that, you help us to explore, Jason, and many of us are opening up to this throughout our lives, and it's certainly been my path, is releasing these things that maybe we have we cling to. And it can it can feel, um, to say it in a in a good way, rather adventurous <laughs> to <laughs> to release duality. And yet mm. not an invitation to act contrary to love. It's actually an invitation to act. Well, actually, you explore this. I'm going to let you explore this because you talk about the shadow, too, in your book. So it's really, um, how do we how do we work with this? Those of us who are learning, you know, how to, to move beyond the notion of, of duality. Well, it's a... It's a it's a tough thing, obviously, as you said, mm-hmm. that you know, I, I grew up in Australia as well, so very conservative culture, you know, much uh-huh. like America. And um coming into a lot of Eastern philosophy and, and, and also my last ten years in, in Asia, it's uh there is that the, the the dual aspect is not really embraced as much in the East. Like, you know, we could uh-huh. see in India if two people get into an argument, they Five minutes later, they're friends. You know, I, I often refer to this as like dog, psycho- 
dog psychology because you know when you see two dogs fighting, five minutes later they're playing together. And you see this uh-huh. in India. You see this in India especially. There's not much clinging to the aspect of the, the that I am separate from you and and you know I can be isolated from you. And in the West, we in the West we develop a culture where you know Jason is separate to the whole world. I'm isolated to the world, and I should fight for my existence. Now this is not. And I don't want to say that this is wrong, but the thing is with this, it can lead to uh, gross individualism. So without yeah. appreciating that, without appreciating that, you know, I'm nobody without Susan and without the world. So, you know, how do we come to that? And, and I think the Eastern teachings have explored this more because to them, what was more intrinsic was harmony, was how yeah. I relate. I relate to society, how I relate to the other and also how I relate to God or whatever you want to call it. And so there was always an emphasis on uh, resonance, on on building resonance with with that is with that which is bigger than you. So, and in that in that you sort of release a lot of your own egotistical tendencies, um, yeah. your self interest. Your self interest is sort of put to the into pushed into the background. And you know, I feel that this is a really pure way to approach reality. But I don't want to exclude individualism. I think individual yeah. individualism. Has, a gr- has great things to show the world. Uh, what I'm seeing at the moment is I'm seeing both worlds come together and a new psychology that is being born from that. And But I think that at the moment, it's just gross individualism in the world. So there's too much self-interest. There's too much me, me, me. So, you know, I think that we're, we have so much to learn from the East in that perspective. Yes. But, and, yes. And, also to get back, and also to get back to your question about the duality, Seeing reality as dual is, is almost a, it's a perceptual thing as well. So um, you've got to be sincere in your own introspection. So once you start to explore the nature of your own being, the nature of how you relate to another and how you relate to the universe, then that should have a, a refining effect on your consciousness. If, if you're sincere in the approach and then, you know, the things like this and that right and wrong will begin to sort of um, not be so strong within your mind you won't cling to things like that should that should be that way that should be this way because this is where duality begins it begins on a perceptual level and this is actually why the great uh chinese philosopher zhuangzi said he he was a philosopher around the warring states of china he said uh-huh. that he said that qing is our human essence qing is a chinese word and human essence is what separates us from the animals but he said within this human essence um, we have a flaw, like we are almost faulty as humans, and it's and the fault is that we have the ability to to discern between this and that, and that separates us from the Tao, because when we begin to se- when we begin to discern between this and that, subjective opinions come in as what is right, what is wrong, and as we know, right and wrong are really subjective; they're not a complete picture of of reality in the way things actually actually are. Yes. Yes. When, you know, so often, Jason, we we hear talk of the ego. I know you talk of the, the false ego as well. And, you know, that, that seems, that's a word that many of us have, have, have worked with, you know, a concept. And I wonder if you could reflect on, on where the ego fits into all of this and and where 
um, where the individual truly is and what is false false ego and, and illusion. Okay, false ego is really, um, you could say, probably the, just the identification with your beliefs and your concepts. And like I said with what Zhuangzi said, the, the ability to discern between this and that. And these, these type of things separate us from each other and from, and from the universe in its complete picture. And so, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, a lot of people associate the ego with the body. And uh-huh. um, it's not so much that because, you know, we all have a body. It's, if, if we don't have a body, we don't experience reality in its multiplicity. But the ego is really just, uh, it's, a, it's a framework that we've built in our mind, a psychological framework that we cling to. And the problem is, is because of that tendency, we're not open for change. We're not open to allow new experiences in. I'm not allowed to um, grow and change my beliefs. And, you know, this is why in the West, the West actually, they loathe contradiction. But in the East, mm-hmm. the East love, love contradiction because contradiction means, if you are contradicting yourself, it means that you are growing. It means you're changing. Uh-huh. You're evolving. Yes. <laughs> so if so if you contradict yourself from last year to what you're saying now, this is a beautiful thing and it's embraced in the East, but in the West because of our definite description of how things should be, we, we always point the finger, aha, you know, they contradicted themselves. But it's not but it's not so much a bad thing. So, you know, if we can sort of open our consciousness up more and, and begin to refine those beliefs and those concepts and those tendencies that we have to, to keep us divided if we begin to really work on that, then we, we can begin to sort of shed a lot of that psychological baggage that the ego contains that, that keeps us separate. You know, so this would lead in this would be this would be the, the false ego and you know that means that would imply that I'm I'm referring to something else, which is a true ego. And I would say that the the actual the reality of the ego is that is the individual in, in resonance with the universe. So, you know, I speak about that a lot in the book with mental alchemy and uh, and, and, and ancient words like Dharma in Sanskrit and Duh in Chinese, which these words uh, are referring to virtue. They're referring to that you've given your ego away. You've sacrificed your false ego, I should say, and you've connected with something much larger than you. And when you connect with that someone much larger than you, then, then we could say that this is the true individual or the true uh, ego in its uh, perfect characteristic. Yes. Yes, it seems like when that happens, um, we we are in service in in a way, um, in that, you know, many of the, the great masters, if we, we think of it, you know, I find myself, I'm going to stop myself right here. You know, what happens, Jason, I find, with, <laughs> with these concepts of really reflecting upon oneness? I find myself using words and then saying, you know, that's not quite what I mean, because it it's a separation. And, and you know, for <laughs> example, a real classic, I use the word foreign. Well, I stop myself immediately. That's a really old habit from a long time. I haven't even used that word in ages, and I thought, gosh, how strange to use that word, <laughs> but does and so I'm stopping ourselves. I'm stopping right in our tracks here because it seems the more we explore this, the more that we feel um, this this really deep desire within to to 
to come into this space of harmony and to release things that, and I know, see, I'm doing it again, you know, trying too hard, that doesn't necessarily work, but <laughs> um, see what I mean? But what I'm trying yeah. to get at as the question, do we become more mindful in a way? Do we Do we really start to say, you know, when you talk about how if we're contradicting ourselves, that's a good thing. We really start to question and say, you know, I might have said that last year. I might have used that concept, but I, I'm not so sure I want to embrace or speak of that anymore. And so pretty soon, um, you know, it, it, it becomes, it, it actually becomes a journey just to try to to express concepts in the same framework that we once understood. Everything is shifting. So I hope I captured that. It was it was somewhat holographic in a way, talking about the language. But I feel it happening more and more, where where I see the things that link us together, and and I don't want to be in that space of separation. And I I feel myself growing into that direction, albeit imperfectly. <laughs> Well, in, in the imperfection is perfection, Susan. So yeah. it's a great, it's a great, it's a great thing. And like what you said with language, language in itself can be an an, an inadequate tool to describe a lot of these things. But it, but we but we're compelled to talk about it. You know, it's like the first the, the first the very first words of the Tao Te Ching. Lao Tzu says, you know, um, those who speak of the Tao do not know the Tao, the eternal Tao. Mm. You know, but then he, but then he goes, but then he goes on to write eighty-one more chapters, and so you could only say that he's getting at the point <laughs> that he's getting at the point that the the plane of imagery in our mind, where the concepts and the language and everything that's there, it does eclipse us from from the non-dual reality. But at the same time, we can use once you understand that, I think we can use the words, we can use that to relate to each other if we can come to an understanding of the terminology of what we're trying to get, what we mean, what we feel. And then I think that we can we can really marinate in, in, as you say, that oneness of the universe and really get back to away from separation that, you know, everything that divides us. So, you know, we do need to be mindful. Yes, language does eclipse that, but at the same time we need language. You know, language is a great thing. It's a it's a beautiful tool that came from the human mind. And so I don't see any I don't see any reason why we, we we can't use that to reflect on who we are, to contemplate our own existence, and also to try and, you know, eventually, hopefully, have a peaceful world um, in the physical realm. So, you know, we always, we always can never just explain what we mean sometimes, but mm-hmm. in other times, in other times we can. And so, I've got no problem with language and how it separates us in some sense, but you know, it, it comes I back guess- to I think. It comes back yeah. to understanding that plane of imagery. That's what they that's what they call in Zen Buddhism. They, that plane of yeah. imagery that's in your mind, that's just what keeps you away from it. So if you know that that's not um, who you are deep down, you can use that as a filter to to relate to the world and not and not be stuck to it. Yes, I think what I'm trying to get at is is I feel my conceptual framework expanding, and so. <laughs> It it tends so it goes beyond language. It, it's deeper than that. Although of course that's how we express ourselves <laughs> in language. Is that um, we we feel this this um, tendency 
towards growth where the old ways, I mean, just as you express in your books, the, the old ways of thinking about things, what may be our own rigid structures that were embedded, mm. um, we find ourselves releasing it. And sometimes for me, it's a very conscious process where I, I stop myself and, and realize, no, you know, I don't really embrace that, whatever that mm. is. Um, and, <laughs> and so I do find that that happening, and it, it's a more conceptual experience. Um, now, here's one that we can explore for sure. I know you talk in your book about, and this is very popular right now, to to say that what we what we think about, what we want, you know, we we will get, and you know, this instantaneous um, gratification, as if that that this is the desirable thing, and yet you. Speak of this, and then you talk about you talk about this this concept of alchemy, and how can we better understand Jason manifestation, if you know, or or how how we navigate through reality, and how how we we are receptive within it. How because you talk of receptivity as well. Mm. Mm. That's a great question. Well, you know, it's commonly known as the law of attraction, you know, the the art of yeah. manifesting, which, which most people would know from books like The Secret and so forth yeah. and so on. But, you know, I they and obviously all of those people who have been involved with reading those sort of books over years and years know that there's, you know, there's some truth there, but it, it's also veiled with a lot of, you know, um, things based on just purely materialism about becoming rich, about about being somebody in, in 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 the social life, and this is actually not the ancient teachings. Actually, of um, I don't even like to use law of attraction. I use mental alchemy because that's how it's mm-hmm. described described in the Hermetic philosophy, which it came from. And you know, the whole process of like like you said, being receptive in that is about refining your consciousness, emptying out, and then when you begin to have a still mind or have an empty mind. It doesn't mean you have an empty mind all the time, but it means that you're not sticky in your mind. You're not stuck to old habits, stuck to old beliefs. It means that the universe can use you then. And then, you know, in Sanskrit, it's called Dharma, and in Chinese, it's called De. And this is basically a cosmic virtue that begins to almost drive your life. You know, this is is what drives someone, say, who, who is a writer, who can sit down for eight hours and and then they their mind I mean their conscious mind disappears for like eight hours and then they have like a whole two or three chapters sitting there and they go I don't even remember doing this this is this is the process of it you know a lot of people call it the zone a lot of people you know refer it to the the way that the the Tao works within Chinese philosophy but it's see from that perspective it's not really about gaining anything for your your personal ego or your conscious mind it's about Resonating is about aligning with the universe and and expressing your own innate nature. You know, Susan's own innate nature could be a great radio host and and you're bringing that forward into the world and this is what's bringing harmony to the world. When you're not following your own nature, you're following um, your desires, your your attraction for personal um, gain, and all this produces is disharmony, and, and you're actually out of sync with what's really happening in, in in reality. And so, you know, the process is to get into what I call the great work of eternity, 
which means to start to be introspected, start to see how you are actually, in some sense, out of sync with other people, out of sync with your own world, out of sync with the universe, and not focus on um, trying to gain something for self-interest. This is the problem with a lot of the, the law of attraction work out there. It's about self-interest. I want to be a great speaker. I want to be a great filmmaker and so forth and so on. Um, but if you really refine your own consciousness, you don't really have the concept of self-interest. What you're doing is you are expressing um, what Joseph Campbell would say is your own bliss. What actually makes you, what makes you feel like you want to get up in the morning. You feel like you, it, it makes you feel alive, you know. Yeah. And this is and this is what brings harmony um, to the world. And actually, in Chinese, there's a word exactly for what we're talking about called ying. Mm-hmm. And ying means that ying means that if you follow your dharma or your, or your de, um, you begin to it's it's almost metaphysical in nature where you begin to bring harmony to the world that's immediately around you. And this is this has a ripple effect, obviously. But you know, so you know, there is a lot of differences between true mental alchemy and probably the popular books on law of attraction. So I, I would probably say, you know, people who are interested in that, in, into the art of manifesting, is that the first thing you, the first thing that you have to do is get out of self-interest. If you get out of self-interest, if you work on your ego enough, then the world does become magical and you experience it from a very deep place but not from your conscious mind. Where do synchronicities come into play, Jason? So many of us uh, experience this when we're really in what you know many many of us call the flow. Um, mm. We <laughs> we experience remarkable things, really that that are impossible, seemingly <laughs> impossible. And 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 when we're resisting, I mean, I I, I really. I, I feel that many many of us really can embrace this this concept of Dharma because you really feel it when you're resisting your path. Um everything mm-hmm. it, it it's almost physical. It it gets to be that. I mean it can be. You can feel the stress of and, and I guess it's the separation from your true path. You you feel that. And so um but back to my original question um could you speak to synchronicity jason and and how that relates to all of this well i think synchronicity is like the language with following your own path which is which is which is how we experience it susan it's that's how you experience the magic and the wonder of life when those miracles happen that you you say come on there's no way that that could happen it's a billion to one shot maybe a trillion to one shot that that could happen out of all the things yeah. that could happen in the world. But they do happen, and and you see it happening. You know, I've been around some really great people in my life, and, and when you're around them, you see that these synchronicities and that uh, it's just like a it's a daily language. It's happening yeah. all the time, and, and that's because they're in the... Well, you know, people c- commonly call it the flow of life, or, you yeah. know, in ancient times, they, they would say in the way of the Tao. And so yeah. you're in this... You're in this um, sort of this this path that the universe is expressing itself through you. It's your path. And as you're following it, um, it's almost like the unconscious is conspiring against your conscious mind. It's it's conspiring against you with reality. <laughs> with reality. So you're experiencing this almost physically. And and you do experience it physically where you see these magical and these magic miracles yes. and that. Yes. Yeah, you do. 
and you know it, and that's the beauty of it and most people don't experience it because they fall into you know um, a life that is dictated to by the social and cultural needs and so the universe in itself in a sense you know I don't want to speak for the universe as, as I'm a mouthpiece but I think that the universe can't use you if you're not following your path if you're following an ideological path that suits other people you won't experience synchronicity but if you if you follow a path that really makes your heart shine and you feel alive yeah. you will really you will really experience the magic of the universe in your own reality and you know a lot of people say that that's metaphysical or, or too new age but once you've experienced it that you cannot deny it because it happens almost daily Yes. You know, I find, Jason, that um, it can even, it can seem really illogical, too, to, to people observing it. Um, you know, maybe a, a, the best example I can give in the popular um, culture is Field of Dreams, the movie where, you know, he does something totally contrary to what makes any logical sense. But because he's able to see a path, and, and actually he can't even totally see it at, at first. He just knows that he's guided to to another path and 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 so i think that um it can it can seem very illogical like you know how people will even even question and and so i guess here's a a question coming out of this is when we are feeling that that we're aligning with our true path and then we feel resistance around the masters um, that their stories can often be where people are questioning them. You know, some as many as followed, or I don't know, followed is the right word in some cases. But um, mm. those who learned, there were those who learned, and there tended to be some resistance as well. So I guess the question for those of us here in the modern world on our on our path. Um, how do we how do we navigate through that in the most peaceful way and within the space of humility? Uh, what is what is the way through that kind of resistance around us and judgment? Well, it's 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 very tough work on a spiritual level because we all yeah. experience, especially especially those who are really introspected and a, and a, and a sincere on their path. You do feel yeah. resistance, and you and you do feel those around you. They may even be cynical to to your own life and and yes. the way you are in general. I would say don't invest too much energy into their their reactions to you. And um, I know it's tough, but it's in those sort of situations you've almost got to just let go of you know yourself in that in that moment. Let go of your conscious yeah. mind, you could say. And and, and you know they 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 themselves have a right to their opinion. And that's good, but usually their opinions are usually directed towards something which results as a judgment, you know. And you could point this out for them, or you could get into a debate about that. But I kind of take the Eastern approach to this, you know. Um, a lot of people in the East would say, if someone was directing a judgment at someone who was on the path of it, so forth and so on, they probably wouldn't say anything. They would probably just think, because they see things as as a as in a unified whole. They would say, well, maybe, yeah. maybe he's maybe he's got some points there. You know, even if he is, yes, being, yes. You know, maybe if even just if they let are it being, be. yeah, just let it be. And and I know that's easier to say, easier said than done, but it is it is um, some of the best spiritual work you can do on your own character because you know you need to understand deep down that 
um, those people in the future will contradict themselves because they might find the path themselves. And then they might come to you later on and go, uh, you were onto it. And I, you know, I apologize for the way I was. And you know, everything comes full circle, full circle, I believe. So I guess that if you can understand that the only feeling that we have within ourselves that actually feels resistance from them, that's actually the false you. That's the one that's yeah. That's the that's the actual false ego that's clinging to the the actual real you, the one who's on the path, who could care less what anyone says. So it's the false you going, hey, shut up! Like this is my, you know, you really you really want to get into a fight. But if you can be <laughs> yes. if you can be conscious and step back and see that, and you know, in Sanskrit they call this vivika. They call it uh, the ability to discriminate between who you really are and the plane of imagery that you think you are, the beliefs yeah. and the concepts. And even I'm a spiritual person can be a concept, you know. So when you start to uh, step back and see that, if you have that ability to have that discrimination, then you won't get into too many arguments and and you won't feel, you know, if you keep doing this work, if you keep that sense of discrimination, you won't feel the blo- your blood boiling. You won't feel the tension in your shoulders when someone's being rude to you. You just sort of let it go. It's like, you know, uh, water off a duck's back. You just keep yeah. walking your own way and, you know, understand they have their right to their own opinion. But, you know, that doesn't matter what they say. You live your life to the to the best you can and the most authentic way, no matter what they yeah. say. Yes. And, you know, when you speak of freedom, that mm. truly is an expression of freedom to to just to pursue our paths authentically. And, and I love that, that concept of saying, yes, you know, I can acknowledge that that someone has an opinion about it, if has their own way of thinking about whatever my path is, but, you know, it doesn't influence choice to live as authentically as possible and it is a process i mean because you know you can have people very close to you um asking you know what what you're doing because it doesn't always you know in our world today i and you speak to this that um simplicity isn't necessarily viewed as the path that many of us follow i mean life can be very complex and you know just with with the normal, I put in quotes, paths that many sure. of us are taught to follow, you know, get a career that, that will support you. You know, I'm I'm a person who had a very successful career, a master's degree in technical discipline and, you know, worked in the technological world and all this, and 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 yet that's not my path. That was my path. It had a purpose. I see the purpose more and more, but my path right now is, is very much different, and I'm I'm flowing into it, and so you know there there can be this tendency, especially when we're young, to influence us, or even actually at any age, to to con to conform to the cultural norms and to you know make a living in a certain way and all that, and and mm. so uh, anyway, I no, no definitely yeah, it's you know yeah. the cultural the cultural norms and the, the social norms are. You know, as as children, you and I are not to know that anything about life in general, like because we're not taught 
you know, about wisdom at a young age. We often get taught how to conform to society. So, right. you know, there, there is always going to be a tension with someone, especially when they start to seek freedom, because when you start yeah. to seek freedom, you're seeking it outside of the social, the social norms. And yeah. so, in a sense, you'll become a non-conformist. And so, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And I think that the authentic spiritual path, in a sense, is always going to be non-conformist because, you know, it's, it's, it's as Zhuangzi said, he said that, you know, you can be in society, but the thing is that you don't operate from the motives that drive society. So the yeah. desires and all of the things that actually separate us from each other and, and from the universe. So, you know, you can live in a city or so to, or anywhere, so to speak, but you don't operate from what's socially accepted or what's culturally accepted, you're starting to step into a much more authentic path, which reflects your own nature. So, you know, how can, you know, this is one question people should ask themselves. How can one path, which is the social and cultural order of the world, be right for everybody? Because it can't be. Because it's just one way that we're all supposed to live. So I think that that's a ridiculous notion that we are all supposed to follow this one path that's set out for us and in most cases, it doesn't suit any of us. And you can see this yeah. with the mental Ill, mental illness in the world, with the stress yeah. and anxiety levels in the world. Yeah. It doesn't suit us. It's too fast-paced. We're simple creatures. You know, I like what yeah. uh, I forget. I forget which psychologist said, which said this, but he said, you know, we're not digital. We're analog. Our brain, and but we're trying to make it digital. We're trying to. Be I love speed. that. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to be. We're trying yeah. to be at the speed of at the speed of a computer, but our mind is much more simple in its nature. So, you know, I think that we need to get back to that simple nature. And and once we do, once we begin to look within, then, you know, you might you might become a nonconformist, but it doesn't mean that you don't hate the world. It means you're just living your path authentically. Yes. And you'll feel it because you'll be fueled by pure joy. I, I can remember <laughs> what it was like. You know, I would work a long day office and I would be utterly exhausted mm. utterly exhausted I remember that feeling of exhaustion mm. sometimes and you know sometimes it was very satisfying some of what I mean on a certain level but you know I don't have that happen very much anymore um, mm. unless I'm really going through resistance and yet I can have very very long days what people would consider a long day and yet, um, not in the same way. You know, just doing a variety of things, related, and they're generally related to the spiritual work that I'm engaged in. And, and you know, the day ends, and I, I'm still... Sometimes I have to tell myself to go to sleep, <laughs> because I, I <laughs> tend to work late, and, and, and yeah. you know, that I'm right back at it. So I have to... But I get out in nature and things. I mean, I, and I guess that's the other thing, too, and let's reflect on that as well. Um, is what can we do on this path, and what have we? What do the the teachers have to say about what we can do to nurture ourselves? Whether you know meditation, reflection, walking in nature, which for me is mm. my way of connecting. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. Yeah, see, we're so disconnected from nature, so that's why you know once anybody actually goes back to nature, they feel. Um, the clarity of mind come to them straight away. Their nervous system begins to relax, and there's just that stillness that you can't, you know, you, you sort of. It's hard to conjure up when you're in an office uh, or in Wall Street or yeah. something like this. But 
you know, I think that the four fundamentals for, say, personal well-being, and, and a lot of teachers do advocate this, is is having a healthy diet, um, meditation, just you know, moderate exercise, but also rest. So if yeah. you keep those four, if you keep those four in sync in your life, then you should have complete well-being, and you know. Um, having a still mind and, and being present more and, and more loving should naturally yeah. arise. But the thing is, we're so busy, you know, like um, so many people uh, these days are so focused with, especially the digital world. So we, we're yeah. becoming further and further and further away from nature as what, as what you, we alluded to. And so, you know, and it's funny when you ask people, what was your most memorable experience in life? And they would always say, oh, a trip to the Grand Canyon or... Yeah. Uh, the Amazon, so it's always to do with nature. But half the time they're on their laptop or their smartphone or they're watching TV, completely disconnected from what's really happening around them. And so, you know, all the masters would advocate those four things that I mentioned, and to obviously embrace more of being just being present in everyday life, listening more. You know, I like the idea of listening deep, listening deeply, because when you begin to listen deeply to someone, you're you're getting your your, your conscious mind out of the way, which is already always ready to speak, even even when someone else is speaking. So if you become more aware of that, then you can listen deeply to the other person, sympathize with them where they're coming from, even if you don't agree with what they're talking about. But you can do that, and so these are just simple practices to yeah. you know to come into um, more of your heart more and um, be in reality more, and you know. It, but with those four things, it doesn't mean you go off one more into the other. Like you don't start exercising every day and try to become a bodybuilder. It means you know you keep a moderate <laughs> exercise. <laughs> it means you you know you keep good health and you know with your diet you keep a good healthy diet. What suits you? You know there are numerous diets out there that suit each person's constitution differently. And you know whatever meditation practice that is that works for you. And you know also the rest. Make sure that you get adequate sleep and just try to get out of the, the busyness of the world. You know, it's I, I heard this uh, interesting thing about um, digital sunsets. So at six o'clock, all of the yeah. electronics are turned all the electronics are turned off. No phones, no computer, no TV. Wow. And at night and at night time it's just time to relax, maybe talk with your spouse or your kids or your friends. Yeah. Um, read read a book. And actually, when you look at this from, say, a Taoist perspective, that's the yin energy of life, the, the nighttime. So at night, you should actually be in, a, in um, a, yin, a yin actual attitude. So you should be more relaxed, which is more of a feminine thing to relax and to just be receptive. And, you know, daytime is yang. Daytime is masculine. You're out there. You're vibrant. You're doing a lot of things. And, you know, this, is, this keeps good balance in life. And actually, what you'll find is, if you practice, say, digital sunsets or you, or you take a, you know, as outrageous as it might seem to most people, take a week away from the phone or the internet or, or you know, uh -huh. or anything like that and just see how you feel after one week. You'll feel extremely great. You'll be relaxed. Your, your skin will be, your face um, skin will be much more relaxed. There won't be tension in your body. And these are just easy things to practice. Yes. Yes, I... I think that that many of us can 
can learn from that. And and we tend to know too when when something's out of balance. Like like I always I do have to remind myself about sleep. That's probably one for me um in that um I I may be doing something which doesn't it doesn't feel like work to me, which is interesting. I mean, I I may be kind of working and yet it's hmm. not exactly work. Of course, my day is unusual. I realized the other day that I'm actually, on many days, part of my schedule literally is walking for multiple hours out in nature and then stopping. There's a place where I like to stop and and reflect because it's very peaceful mm. out there, and it helps me. You know, each of us has our own way of, of connecting. And I realized one day, you know, this is literally part of my schedule. And, hmm. and, you know, I don't know that I want to think of it that structure. And yet it is. I mean, I need to... And our modern society, Jason, doesn't get that. They they don't necessarily get, you know, that, that people need to um, take time for things like this. And then it makes the rest of my day really much more focused, whatever it is that I need to do because I spent that that time. And, you know, maybe we can't do this every day. I can't do it every single day, but but <laughs> I really, on the weeks where I get too busy and can't make time for things, I feel it. And my effectiveness goes down. Um, even within the flow of enjoying what I'm doing, it goes down if I don't give myself that time for reflection. Oh, definitely. And, you know, like what you said, Susan, you go through... You you go for a nice uh, bushwalk in nature, and you know instantly you're back into mindfulness. You can sit and you can be completely present. And yes. what what most people don't understand about even just the fundamental ways that the brain works, if you can give yourself that time to just be mindful for at least five minutes a day, this yes. actually this actually um, is beneficial just for the preservation of intellectual life. So if you're always just in the if you're always just in the intellect, always busy, 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 you're going to be stressful, anxious all the time. But if you give yourself that time, you know some some people believe you only have to meditate one minute a day to preserve your intellectual life and and, and to help your own well-being. But yeah. I, you know I, I I'm a lover of nature as well, and I love. Um, <laughs> What what you mentioned as well is give yourself that time to walk in nature, maybe even barefoot, walk in the mud, or just embrace it for what it is. You know, people might call you a hippie or whatever, but who cares? Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> nature is us. Nature is what we're from. So you know, people who call people hippies and that for for being a lover of nature and who can feel the natural world uh, are pretty ignorant because we are nature. That's that's who we are. And we're an expression of of the planet, so yes, know. very much so. It it it's truly magical. I mean, I I I will literally. I have certain places where there are trees where I will lean up. I, I'll I'll lean against the tree. My entire spine I will put up against the tree and just lean back. And that can be so powerful, Jason. I, I get dizzy. I mean, it is energetic <laughs> in nature. It is. Just just aligning with a tree. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know, it's a simple thing to do. And, and yet it can put you in a, in a really blissful state of mind, truthfully. Um, yeah. And so for me, it, it's very meaningful. And yeah, I, you know, people can call me a hippie or 
you know, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> it's 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 exactly where I need to be um, to stay balanced. Now I have a question that I I would be remiss if if I didn't ask this question is, you know, you speak. We've been talking a lot. Um, very spontaneously tonight about different practices and how we flow through life and our days. And you speak specifically of the way of the warrior and the path of the sage. And I'm thinking maybe now we can come full circle through some of this conversation and kind of map the the way that we go to those those concepts, the way of the warrior and the path of the sage and to understand, you know, how we can practice humility in our lives. Well, look, the way of the warrior, as I describe it in the book, is um, it's kind of um, your normal psychology. It's, you know, you travel through life, you see things very analytical, very intellectual. Um, I always say caught in the detail of of life, caught in um, what's happened. And also caught in the detail of your own mind, your own beliefs, your own concepts, your own opinions. And this is what continually keeps your perception perception locked into this and that, right and wrong, um, good man, bad man, all these judgments that keep us you know, in, with, in constant conflict with each other. And so you know, as we've been talking uh, about today with uh, refining the consciousness, the practices, being contemplative as much as you can and mindful will begin to refine your consciousness and begin to have what I say, you know, the, the path of the sage, which is um, which is an evolved perception. You know, you can you can use an analogy, and a good analogy is a city. When you're on the city street, all you see is crazy chaos, cars beeping, people everywhere, uh, you know, and this is the warrior state of perception. They're caught in the detail of everyday life, mundane life. But if you were to take a, a Boeing um, plane's perspective of the city, this is like the sage's perception. They can see that there's an intrinsic harmony in life, a rhythm to actually what's going on. There's an order to life. And when you have that perception, you're not really clinging to um, the idea of judgments, right and wrong, what you think is good and bad. These things are kind of um, dissolved because you can see reality as it is. You know, yeah. it's it's like it's like an old Zen story where it's a famous one. You probably know it, where uh, a father had um, a, he had a horse and the, and the horse ran away, and the people, the neighbors, came along and said, "Huh, how unfortunate for you," you know. And he's like, "You know, we'll see." And then the next day, the horse comes back with two wild horses, and so they're like, "Oh, you know, like they couldn't believe it." And then. Um, no, they said, how fortunate for you to get two more horses. And he said, you know, we'll see. And then the next day, the, his son was riding the wild horse and the son um, fell off the horse and broke his leg. And uh-huh. so the neighbors came back around and said, oh, how unfortunate for you. And he's like, you know, we'll see. And then the the next day, the conscription officers came around for to, to conscript people for war. And because his son had a broken leg, he couldn't go to war. So, you know, the story goes on and on and on like this yeah. because the, fa- the father can see that, you know, everything's not definite. You know, you can, um, you know, life is constant change. You know, the substance yeah. of life is, al- is always changing. So 
when you yeah. try to isolate it into a box and say, oh, how unfortunate for you, you should have really the attitude of we'll see because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, I found myself, and you would have experienced this too, Susan, that in your own life uh-huh. when unfortunate circumstances have happened, yeah. they have always they have always led to something greater. And you can oh, say, without that, yeah, so without that unfortunate yeah. circumstance, you couldn't have had the the fruit that came later, the sweet fruit that you yeah. experienced later. So when we, they're very true because when the sage, they have their perception um, evolved, they can see that at all times. And this is um, what I go into the book is that a sage could has a sage has sort of a prolonged um, awareness of this, where all of the worries in the world, uh, the ordinary people are always caught in the detail. And this is always led, this is always driven by the ego, by self-interest, and this is what this is what's killing our world. Actually, it's what's causing war, yeah. causing causing communal disharmony, family disharmony. And so, if you can be sincere with yourself and try to see things from a from a more clear perspective, you know, this world can be anything it wants to be, but we have to be sincere about doing it. Yes. Oh, so true. You know, Jason, I've been so enjoying our conversation. I've been ignoring my switchboard, and I realize we have a caller on the line who's been waiting rather patiently, and I wonder if we could take a question from a caller real quick here. Yep, sure. the end here. Hello. Welcome. You're on the Frontier Beyond Fear. Hey, Susan, it's Jay calling from Canada. How's it going? Hi, Jay. I thought it was you. I saw you out there. I thought you might have a question for Jason. Uh, yes, I do. It's uh, great to have this guest on because it's always really interesting to listen to this wisdom and knowledge that he's traveled along the, his road on his journey. So it's very interesting. Nice to, nice to meet you, Jay. Yeah, thank you. Um, my question regarding um, the path. I'm struggling with this one. Um we're on on the same path, yet we individualize our paths as being our experiences are individual. But are those? Is it say that that we're all on the same journey? And I don't know. We, we seem to divide. I don't know. The make it individual journeys. But is that still true nowadays? Well, I feel that you know we are all on our. It, it's a. I think it's a paradox. You know, like it's a another. Yep. Eastern Eastern contradiction. It's where we're all on an individual path, but that's also, in a sense, uh, what could you say? Like a unif- it, It's resonant with a unified path. Like so, fr- from a purely subjective level, from your own personality, you could say, yeah, this is my path. But from a probably from a higher perspective, it's just, you know, it's it's like you scratch your leg. It's just what's what the universe is doing through you. So. Like um, they talk, they talk about, especially in Hinduism, about having one will. So um, you align to um, the the universe, so forth, or whatever you want to call it, and then that one will begins to work through you. So then, what from from their perspective, their philosophy, they talk about, well, do we really have free choice, or is there just one will working through everybody, and we're experiencing it, you know, subjectively? So you know, these are great cosmic questions that it's hard to answer but you can probably answer it yourself by living your own path and seeing that when you're sort of in, aligned with something larger than yourself that 
it's it's res- it's in it's harmonious with everything else in life. So if it's if it's harmonious with everything else in life, then it's not just your path. It's also everybody else's path as well. Because if it was just your path, it'd be very isolated, and you'd probably never um, come into any conflict or any friction during your life. But it's it it sinks in with everything else. So it's almost built into the fabric of of the universe, and it's very harmonious with you know the way things are. I don't really know if that answers your question or if that was to the point, but you know you can elaborate if you want. Well, we actually well, probably curious. should. We should probably. I think that's all we can ask right now because I'm realizing okay. we've got Jason here via Skype, and I may lose him right at the top of the hour, and we wouldn't want that to happen. So, <laughs> I I um, really thank you for calling in, Jay. Um, thank you, Jay. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. And Jason, you're still here, but yes, thank you, Jay. For just wanted in the last few minutes, because often we have a little bit more leeway on the phone, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity, Jason, to let people know where they can find you. And then, of course, I wanted to thank you from my heart for, for being here tonight. We could only brush the surface. There's so much to to talk about here um, but I'm so thankful that you've been here tonight and, and for the work that you've done. Oh, I appreciate everything you do, Susan, and for giving me the opportunity. And it's been a great conversation. I love it. And I love exchanging with people like you, and I think it really benefits a lot of people out there. And um, as for my work, if people want to find uh, find out more about me, they can just go to uh, jasongregory.org. Um, and also, I'll be speaking in the UK and US in September and uh-huh. October. So, anyone who is interested in coming to any of my lectures, they can go to my website and find out information. And um, it's been brilliant. Oh well, well, thank you so much, and we'll look forward to your your visit here to the US. Perhaps when when that gets a little bit closer, um, we might um, talk again. So. Because I'd love I would to, certainly, I'd love to be back I, I would love that. Oh well, well, thank you so much, and and I really appreciate um, just the the spirit of your work and and the depth of your exploration here. I I want to remind the listeners, book the science and practice of humility, the path to ultimate freedom, and truthfully, I have much more to explore in it as well. It's a it's a really beautiful book with with much to explore and to teach. So thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, all right. Well, take care then. Okay. Bye, Susan. All right. Bye. Okay. In these final seconds here, I just wanted to remind everyone that um, all of the archived shows, including this one will be on FrontierBeyondFear.com. I am going to start um, expanding where these shows go. I'm I'm working on that, and I'm excited about that, to get um, to just get the word out more about these wonderful guests coming to the show. I am just so appreciative of the wonderful people coming to this show who have really invested so much of their spirit into their work, and it's a wonderful thing. The next show, pay attention to the schedule. Um, we're kind of flowing in a summer schedule right now. It's a little looser, and 
and more relaxed. So um, just look at FrontierBeyondFear.com and I will get the shows on the schedule coming up. And um, I just appreciate all of you being here, very much so. So take care, everyone, no matter where this show finds you. Um, I hope that you, too, can begin to find that flow, that thing that makes you come alive, the flow from your heart. May you begin to find it. May you flow with it more and more and more. Take care. (laughs) 